Bible, I'm going to invite you to go with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to begin reading at verse 33. Mark chapter 6 and verse 33. We began last week a new sermon series entitled The Homemaker. And I want to continue along those lines because this is an important study for us. We are studying how God makes a home. We saw last week how God made Eden the home, first home for man, the home for Adam and Eve. The elements which he put into that home, he wants to have in your house and in your home for your life. I read to you last week from the book of Isaiah, which says that your life and your home, your family, will be like the Garden of Eden and like the garden of God. That's God's plan and God's will for your life. No one in here should ever say, our family can't be that blessed. Or our family can't have it that well. You can have all the fullness of God in your home. Say amen, somebody. God is the original homemaker. He invented the family. He invented marriage. He invented the beauty and the glories of Eden. And he wants them manifested in our homes and our lives here in the 21st century. And today I want to invite you to study the Lord Jesus Christ with me because in this historic scene, this message that is found in the Gospels of the feeding of the 5,000, we see how Jesus makes a home in the wilderness for a multitude. Isn't God so good that he can make a home in the wilderness for a multitude? And God wants to do that in your home. The Bible reads in verse 33 of Mark chapter 6, The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a, lar a large crowd and, fell and felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of a hundred and of fifty. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all, and they ate and were full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. I ask you to speak to every issue in our hearts. For the glory of God we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. 
How many of you would like to learn from Jesus? Jesus here gives us a pattern, a picture of the homemaker. He teaches us how God makes a home uh, for this great multitude. And the story is simply this. The Bible says that Jesus had gone to a secluded place with his disciples to pray. When they were on their way back, they got into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is a large sea, but not a, a very, uh, very large sea. It's not uh, much bigger, uh, a lot bigger than most of the lakes we have around here, but not much bigger than that. And so the people saw him out on the lake, and they recognized him. They recognized that Jesus was coming ashore, and so they started to make their way to the place where he was headed, and they got there ahead of him. And a great multitude began to gather. The Bible tells us there were about 5,000 men. And you know there's always more women and children than men. So scholars tell us there were probably 20,000 people on the shore when Jesus arrived. So when he arrives in this place, there's a spontaneous uh, a gathering. There is this impromptu crusade that begins to take place. And the Bible tells us about Jesus that he looked on them and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, that little phrase means a lot of things. It means that they were a people without a defense because sheep without a shepherd are defenseless. That means that they were a people without direction because sheep without a shepherd have no direction. But the basic fact, the, the essential fact is that they were hungry because sheep with no shepherd are hungry. And when Jesus looked at them, he saw their hunger. He saw their spiritual hunger, and no doubt he saw their spiritual, uh, their physical hunger as well. Now, I'll tell you this morning, by looking at you, I can't exactly tell if you're hungry or not. I don't know if you had tacos for breakfast, or if you had a donut, or if you didn't. I can't tell that, but I want you to begin to see in that how Jesus uh, looks at this crowd, and he discerns the needs that are going on in their life. And so I want you to, to go with me as we study this pattern that Jesus lays out for us because the first thing we notice about Jesus is that he was moved with compassion by what he saw. And a home, a healthy home, must have a healthy, a healthy dose of compassion. If you're going to have a home, a marriage, a family life that is pleasant, that is a blessing, that is beautiful, there's going to have to be compassion. Why? Because there are sinners living in that home. I don't know if you know that or not, but there are sinners living in that home. People with moods and attitudes and different ways of thinking about things. And we like different foods and different TV shows. And we like to do things differently. Some of, some of us like it loud and others like it quiet. And when you have all these mixes of different people and different styles of, of living in one house, you need compassion. Say amen, somebody. Jesus was moved with compassion. That word, moved with compassion, it means that he was moved to his bowels. His very inner man was stirred up by what he saw. And it tells us then that he was moved to the place of love. There was a, 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 a sight before him that compelled him not only to sense and to empathize with the people, but to desire to help them. And homes need not only empathy, but need compassion. And when you and I learn to live with the compassion uh, that Christ had 
for the people that God has put in our home and in our life. We're often moved to our place of love. We're moved to that very essential and internal part of man. It's sad sometimes that we have more compassion for strangers than we have for the people that live in our house. You don't have to say amen right now. I'm going to preach anyway, all right? But I just want to point out that sometimes we're more compassionate to the beggar on the street uh, than we are to the people in our own home or in our own family, and this ought not to be so. Say amen, somebody. There ought to be compassion in the home, and when God is present in the house, there will be grace. There will be compassion. There will be that moving of our heart to the place of love. So I want to mention a few things we notice in Jesus. First of all, he had a compassionate vision. Say that, compassionate vision. Say that again, compassionate vision. Do you know that Jesus was able to discern the needs of the people by just looking at them? Now, I can't tell if you're hungry or not right now, but I know when some of you are sad. I know when some of you are happy. I know when some of you are broken. I know by looking and reading your faces uh, when some of you are going through a trial in your life and you do the same thing when your children come in from school and you see their face, you notice their demeanor, you know whether they've had a good day or a hard day or what's going on and you start asking questions because compassion has vision. Compassion is able to see. It's able to discern. It's able to understand. The Bible tells us that the prodigal came home and when he came home his father saw him afar off. His father saw him and had compassion for him. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to have a home that is made by the homemaker, to ask God to give you a compassionate vision. To see what other people see. To see what other people are going through. I had a, a, a friend who was uh, having a hard time. He was working in a, in a ministry and he was having a hard time with his boss. And he was starting to have a lot of friction with his boss. And he, he was complaining to me about it. And I said, why don't you pray for him? Uh, you don't know what he might be going through. And he said one day that he was walking down the hall behind his boss. And, and he said, when, I, when I, I was walking behind him, the Lord allowed me to see his heart. And I saw that his heart was burdened with a great number of cares. And my heart became broken for him. You see, that is what compassionate vision does. When God allows you to see the need of somebody else, we live in a selfish world. We live in a world that's about me and what I want and what I need. And we live in a world that's about protecting my interests. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a, a kingdom that has discernment, that has the ability to see with the, with the eyes of compassion. Husbands, let God give you a compassionate vision for your wife. You don't always know the cares or the burdens that are on her. Wives, let God give you a compassionate vision for your husband. You may not know the difficulty and the strain that he undergoes to provide for his family and to meet the needs of the home. Parents, let God give you a compassionate vision for your children, that you might love them in a way that is adequate and appropriate to the need and season of their life. And children, let God give you a compassionate vision for your parents. I know that sometimes it might seem like uh, they're too hard on you or they're too strict. But let God give you a vision for what their heart is and what their desire is to see in your life. I try uh, because I'm often sitting at tables with a great number of people and uh, uh, with different 
types of people. I try to talk to everybody at the table. It's a, a habit I try to develop to make sure that I don't stop being able to notice the people around me because it's very easy to do that. And maybe you say, Pastor, I just don't have that gift. I don't have that ability. Can I tell you, you want to have a home that's blessed? Ask God to give you that ability, to give you that home, uh, to give you that, that gift. Say amen, somebody. Ask of the Lord, and he'll give you a discernment. He'll give you the ability to love those people around you in a way that, uh, that meets the need that is in their life. Not everyone ha has this gift, so some have to train. Some have to grow in this area. Some have to develop in this area. But everybody needs to operate with a compassionate vision. Say that again, compassionate vision. Then we see the need for compassionate touch. Say compassionate touch. The Bible said that when the prodigal came home, the father saw him. He was moved with compassion, and he fell on his neck. He hugged him. You know we need to be touched. We need to be touched. Uh, there are actually studies that have dis develop, uh, uh, discovered that there is something called skin hunger. Our skin, our, our life, our body desires touch, contact. And the people who suffer most from skin hunger are two groups of people, the elderly. And often the elderly suffer from skin hunger because they're isolated they live alone or they live in a nursing home. And there's not the kind of loving embrace and contact that is needed for good health. But you know who else suffers from skin hunger? The second group and a growing group that suffers from skin hunger is 16 to 24-year-olds. Our young people are suffering from skin hunger. And I think one of the reasons why is because we have become so disconnected from the people around us with these little devices. And the soul is hungering to be touched. You see, uh, if you think about it, God, when God created the world, he created the entire world by his voice, by his word. He created the sun by his word. He created the moon by his word. He created the planet earth by his word. He created the beast of the sea by his word. He created the beast of the, of the field by his word. He created the trees and the grass by his word. There's only one thing God created by his hands, and that was man. He created us with his touch. You and I are the result of the touch of God. And that is why our soul longs to be touched. That is why skin hunger exists because man has been created by a God who loves to touch. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus touching people all the time. His compassion was moved toward them. If he saw a leper, someone who was untouchable, the Bible said he reached out his hand and he touched them. That's the compassion of Jesus. And we note that the Bible teaches us in the ministry that we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There is an impartation that occurs when there is healthy communication through touch in our homes. And every person in here needs that. Everybody in here needs a hug from time to time. And so here's what I want you to do. If you're married and you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to hold their hand for the rest of the sermon. Come on. Let's get it together, guys. Some of you are already holding hands. The prodigal, uh, the Bible said the father kissed his, his son, too. We're not going to do that, all right? 
leave that, leave that for later. But right now, I want you to hold your spouse's hand. Touch is important. When, when you touch another person, when there's a hug, an embrace, a handhold, something is released in your body that produces good health. And Jesus teaches us that we build a home by touch, by embrace. We, we were created by God's touch, and we need God's touch every day of our life. So we need compassionate vision. We also need compassionate touch. The next thing we need is compassionate communication. The Bible said that Jesus began to teach. He began to communicate. Do you know the power of your words this morning? Ask your question. Do you know the power of your words? The Bible said that our words have the power of life and death. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. And we will eat its fruit. That means we're going to eat the result of our words. So our communication is very important. And in order to have a home that is touched by the homemaker, there has to be communication that reflects the communication of God. Listen, first of all, in order to have a, a compassionate communication, you need to learn to listen. Say, learn to listen. How many of you are good listeners? Are you a good listener? The Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What did he say? This you know, brethren. Everyone. Say everyone. Everyone must be quick to hear. God wants you to listen, to be a good listener, slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Most of the time, we're quick to speak and slow to hear. Listen, if your spouse is telling you something or your children are telling you something and you're thinking about what you're going to say in response, you're not listening. You can't listen like this. Uh-huh. 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 So we're getting pizza? No, I didn't say anything about pizza. You can't listen like that. A woman said to her husband, she said, honey, could you bring me two fried eggs and some refried beans? He said, all right. He went into the kitchen. He brought her back two scoops of ice cream and a banana. And she looked at it and she said, Where's the hot fudge? Nobody was paying attention in that house. Listen. Slow to speak. Somebody said God gave us two ears and one mouth. We got to hear more than we speak. Why? Because communication is not just me telling you stuff. It's you telling me stuff. When we have both heard what needs to be said, now we're communicating. When you listen, you create an environment that is safe. So I, I want to just challenge you. If you're the kind of person that has a hard time listening to hard news or to, to a confrontation, take it easy. Say, take it easy. <coughs> Let them speak. Listen. They might be telling you their heart. They might be communicating something to you that if you listen today will save your marriage tomorrow. If you listen today, may save your relationship with your children tomorrow. Put your phone away. Turn off the television and listen. 
listen, and build those bridges that, uh, that God has built with us. Because listen, friends, is God a good listener or what? God will listen to us and, and he, will, he will let us rant and rave and complain and, and say all that's honest in our heart. And God is not in the least bit offended by any of the things that we say when we call out to him in honest prayer. And he wants us to be like him, to learn, to listen. And then in, in addition to listening, we must use words that build. You see, our words can either build a bridge or burn it. Our words can either create a platform for a healthy family or they can create the platform for a destroyed family. The Bible says, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be full of grace. Say that with me. Let your speech always be full of grace. When should your speech be full of grace? Always. He says, as though seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. If your speech is not full of grace this morning, I want to call you to repentance. And I want to call you to say, God, change my vocabulary. Change my speech. Because I want my speech to build instead of tear down my home. I want my speech to build instead of tear down my marriage or my relationship with my children. And let me just say this. If you're single or you're not married right now, and you think someday you will be, you need to tune in to every word I'm speaking right now. Because if you will learn these habits now, they will bless your marriage and your family later. Say amen, somebody. It's a lot harder to relearn habits when you've had some bad habits in place. And many times the habits we got were because that's how we saw our parents do it. That's how we saw the, uh, our guardians do it. And we learned from that. And many times, the way you saw problems solved was that two people got angry, doors started slamming, voices were raised, and then somebody walked out of the room, and the problem just, you know, faded away. That's not how you do it. You have to use compassionate words. Jesus was a confrontational person. Jesus used words to confront the Pharisees of his day, to confront the issues of his day. But when you listen to him speaking to people who are in, in desire of relationship with him, there is such grace and such compassion flowing from his mouth. You can imagine the grace of, of Jesus' communication. He spoke all day long and nobody left. He just kept preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And the people were soaking in every one of his words. So let me give you three T's this morning for compassionate uh, communication and words. Are you ready? Number one is the right tone. Do you know that words have to be spoken in the right tone? I love you in the wrong term tone doesn't sound like love at all. You got to learn to get the right tone. And then you need, the, you need good time. There's got to be time to communicate, time to talk, time to listen, time to hear what's being said, time to pray about what's being said. And then you need to have the, the team spirit, a team attitude. When you have um, a conflict or, or communication in your home, whether it's conflict or not, there always needs to be a sense of we're a team. 
This, this family is a team. This marriage is a team. Whatever's going to be said in this conversation needs to be said with the understanding that we're all on the same team, we're all fighting the same enemy, and we all have to win. Say amen, somebody. If you win, I win. If they win, we win. And when we, when we get into fractions and to factions about my, my way versus your way and my thought versus your thought, that team spirit is gone. The Bible says, behold how good and how beautiful it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That's an old-fashioned way of saying, look how awesome it is when, when the family dwells like a team. When there is cooperation, when there is unity, the Bible says there the Lord will send blessing and life ever after. Do you want blessing in your home? Do you want life in your home? Then you have to unite with your words. Unite with your communication. You're on the same team. You need to make time to talk and to communicate. And you have to have the right tone. When you use words, let them be words that encourage Words that build, words that support, words that let people know that you love them, that you care about them. Don't be like the man I told you about whose wife said, you never tell me you love me. He said, I told you I loved you on the day I married you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not enough. You've got to express with words every day. Are you focused this morning? Are you listening? Because I'm headed somewhere here. What about words when we have conflict? Now, I know none of you ever have conflict in your home, but I'm going to give you this just in case. If you don't have any conflict in your home, that's wonderful. But God's goal for your home is not that there never be any conflict. God's goal for your home is that the conflicts be resolved his way. That the conflicts be resolved with wisdom. That they be resolved biblically. That they be resolved with biblical communication. And so I, I learned this from Pastor Paul Youngi Cho in South Korea, and uh, I think it's a, it's a good rule for us. Uh, let me give you an example. If, if you say to your husband, or to your, let's say you say to your husband, uh, you ignored me, that's an accusation. And what happens when we get accused? We get defensive. I mean, you guys, have no, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. This is so foreign to you. There's peace in the valley. All right, good. But, but for some of us, when we get accused, we get defensive. What do you mean? It's better to say, I feel like you ignored me. You see what, what happens when you add that little word, feel? It lets the other person know, we need to talk about something, because I may have misunderstood what happened. I may have misunderstood the statement or the tone or the reason. And when you use the word feel, you're doing two things. Number one, you're communicating to them, I might be wrong about this. And how many of you have ever been wrong about your feelings? Boy, this is the least honest church I've ever heard. How many of you have ever been wrong about your feelings? Yeah, your feelings will lie to you. When you say, I feel, you're telling your you're telling your neighbor, you're telling your son, your daughter, you're telling your, your husband, your wife, I might be wrong about this. But you're also telling yourself, I might be wrong about this. And you allow that conflict now to become resolvable by the team rather than each person trying to get what they want. Say amen this morning. 
Jesus was moved with compassion. And when his compassion was moved, his touch was moved, his ears were moved, and his voice was moved. The Bible said he began to teach. Do you know that the homemaker is a teacher? And God wants teaching to take place in your home. Listen, the values of a godly Christian person are taught in the home. The book of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 verse 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk to them when you sit in your home, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. God instructs parents to teach their children, to teach them the word of God. And he uses this word, teach, which means to impress. Uh, it means to, to make a mark. When you see a, a wet slab of cement and you go on there and you write down, Isaac was here. You just made an impression for life. Don't worry, buddy. I've never done that. All right? I'm just letting you know that's what, what, what God is saying. You have the wet cement of your children right now. Someday that cement's going to harden and it's going to dry. So right now, while they can be addressed, while you can speak to them, impress upon them the word of God, the truth of God's word right on the palate of their heart. He says, don't just do it by sitting around the, the coffee table with an open Bible. But when you're walking, when you're going on vacation, when you're traveling, when you're living life, when you're doing the things you do daily, communicate the truth of God's word. Teach them what God has to say about a particular matter. He says when you're sitting down, when you're eating dinner, talk about the things of God. Testify. Share what God has done in your life. When you are lying down and when you're getting up at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, share the word of God. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'll just take my kids to Sunday school. I'll just take my kids to, to Christian education on Saturday night, and that'll be it. We'll let the pastor take care of that. We'll let the church take care of that. No, friend, we're here to help you educate your children, but it's your job to educate them in the nurture and the admonition of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not agitate or exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Jesus began to teach them. And Jesus wants to teach you, and he wants you to be a teacher in your home. Now listen, someday your children are going to leave your home. That doesn't mean the teaching is done. When they come to you with a need, they come to you seeking advice, they come to you seeking counsel, I don't mean break their door down and give them your advice. Or I don't want that. I want you to wait on them to come to you and ask for, your, for their counsel. And when they come, you don't tell them some old-fashioned Spanish saying from Mexico. You tell them what the Word of God says. Say amen, somebody. You give them the Word of God because that's what's going to help them. That's where wisdom is. The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives it freely and without reproach. God wants you to have his wisdom in your home and in your life. And the Bible tells us this, furthermore, it says that we will be taught of the Lord. We need the homemaker in our home so that he can teach us. Because let me tell you something you may not have thought about. Where you are today, you've never been before. Listen, if you're raising a teenager right now, you may never have raised a teenager before. 
Some of you are raising a 30-year-old. You've never raised a 30-year-old before. You need wisdom because the season you're in, you've never been there. And you might be in a season right now of singleness. You need wisdom for that. If you're in marriage, you need wisdom for that. If you're in marriage after 20 years, guess what? You're going to need wisdom for that because your marriage has never been there before. Every season of our life, we need the teacher in the home. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to show us the way. Say amen, somebody. Then the Bible says, this, this is a beautiful expression, it says that the day was far spent. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus spent the whole day with the multitude. A home made by the homemaker is a home where the family spends time together. You have to spend time together. The whole day they spent together. I know that's hard to do in a work uh uh, in, a, in a day where you have to go to work in the morning and come back in the afternoon, but you have to make time to be together. Now, that doesn't mean you're always on vacation. It doesn't mean you're always sitting around the table. It might mean that dad is changing a, a flat tire and his sons are spending time with him by helping him change that flat tire or change the oil on the car or do uh, whatever it is that needs to be done around the house with mom. But when there is time spent together, we are sharing in the very, the very truth of what Jesus is teaching us throughout the Gospels. Jesus spent time with the disciples. There were days when he said, I've got to go alone to pray. And all of us need that time. All of us need those times to be alone to pray. But in this case, the Bible said he took the disciples with him and they went alone together to pray. And now he comes back and he's going to spend this entire day with this family. He's going to spend the entire day with this multitude. God doesn't need you to spend all day with 20,000 people, all right? He just wants you to spend some time with the people that he's put in your life, in your home. Isn't it cool that God will spend all day with us? I mean, all day with us. If you've ever met a really important person, like a president or a senator, they don't give you all day. They give you five minutes, sometimes two minutes. Hey, you better have your elevator speech good and ready because they're not going to give you much time. You've got to make an impression in that moment. But God the creator of the universe, he'll spend all day with us. And he wants to spend all day with us. So families, spend time together. And guess what? I want to give you some, some good advice. Do ministry together. If God's put a ministry in your life, do ministry with your family. Because it's an opportunity to do, uh, to do kingdom business together. And that is a great, uh, a great benefit to your family. The other side of this is this. The people spent all day with Jesus. Not only does he want to spend time with you, but you and I need to spend time with him. Say amen, somebody. The people stayed all day long. Now, I know what would happen if I kept preaching right now. It's just, a, just after 11 o'clock in the morning. If I kept preaching till about noon, I'd start losing some of you. And then if I kept preaching till about 1.30, I'd lose a few more. And if I kept going till around 2, even the most faithful uh, would be saying, Pastor, you know. Man shall not live by sermons alone. I gotta go get some some lunch. Jesus just kept preaching. And they stayed with him. You wanna tell you 
I'll tell you something this morning. I'm proud of you. Because I've watched you live. I've been here almost eight years. And I've watched a great number of you live. And I've heard your life stories. And I've watched you go through storms. I've watched you go through trials. I've, got, I've watched you go through famines. I've watched you go through the highs of life and the lows of life. I've stood with you on your wedding days. I've, seen, I've stood with you on, uh, at grave sites. And I have seen you stay with God. I have seen you stay with Jesus. And that is a miracle in and of itself, friends. You know, many times we celebrate the big victories in life. But some days you just got to celebrate the fact that I'm still standing. I'm still here. I'm sticking with Jesus. Come hell or high water, I'm not going anywhere. Say amen, somebody. Some of you fought cancer, but you're still here. You fought diabetes, but you're still here. You've gone through divorce, but you're still here. You survived divorce, but you're still here. You lost your job, but you're still here. Come on, somebody. You're here because you've made a commitment to God, and God has made a commitment to you. This, this, this commitment is so vital for the family. Some of you, maybe you don't have the best family life right now, but you have made a commitment to stick it through. Because listen, families go through seasons, and not every season is Disneyland. Some seasons are rough. Some seasons are rough and tumble. Some seasons are survival all day, every day. Some seasons are financial. Some seasons are emotional. Some seasons are, are related to stress. In every season, God is with you. And in every season, your family can survive, thrive, and endure for the glory of God. Say amen, somebody. That is God's plan for your family in every season. There has to be that commitment. I shared with the ministers in our conference last week that a pastor's church will never grow so long as he is thinking that I'm going to leave here and go somewhere bigger in a few years. You see, God's not going to send growth to a ministry when there's not a commitment to staying in that region and doing the call of God. And the same principle applies to your home. If you're thinking, well, I'll just get out of this marriage. I'll just get out of this home. I'll just get out of this situation. There's not going to be much blessing there. You've got to make a commitment. You've got to say, whatever it takes, we're going to see God's blessing in this house and in this family. And we're going to see God's manifestation of grace in this family in every season of our life. Stick with it. Stay the course. Watch God work. The Bible says that Jesus spent all day with them, and the day was far spent, and the disciples came to him, and they said, Lord, send them away. Tell them to go. What did I tell you about home? Home is the place where when you get there, they have to let you in. I hope everybody has a home. Jesus was saying, these people have nowhere else to go. This is home. This is their place. This is where they belong. And he said, well, they're hungry. He knew that. The day is far spent. The people are hungry. He said, if we were to spend 200 days' work of, of paychecks on, spending, on feeding these people, that would barely be enough to feed this mass multitude. And Jesus said, you give them to eat. Feed them. We see that Jesus takes these loaves of bread and these fish, and he feeds every person in that multitude. Listen, friends, I told you last week, I'm going to tell you again, I'll probably tell you again next week, you've got to eat together. The family table is essential. 
The family table is blessed of God. The Garden of Eden was full of food. Aren't you glad that in a couple of weeks your house is going to be full of food? There's going to be turkey and tamales and ham and a turducken and whatever other strange contraption you guys can come up with and some capirotada. And there's going to be, uh, there's going to be something that nobody will touch on that table. And, and all of that, all of that is healthy, not the food itself, but the, the table, the time we spend together. All of the feasts God gave Israel involved food. And today when we come to the Lord's, today when we come to the altar, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to receive the communion meal. And we're going to share as a church the meal that the church has been sharing for 2,000 years. The table is so vital and so important to the home. Because when you sit down and you eat together, you break bread together, you talk, you dialogue, you converse, you testify, you witness, you share the goodness of God. You pick up on what's going on in the lives of other people in your home. The Bible says this. It says they ate and were full. Everybody say full. He had five loaves and two fish, and they were full. 20,000 people left satisfied. I want to say something that I want you to grab, and I want you to put it in your heart. God wants your family life to be full. God wants your marriage to be full. The Bible says that Jesus spoke saying the, 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 the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. God wants your family life to be full. You say, preacher, you don't know my family. That's not possible. I have an unconverted husband. Or I have unconverted children. Or you don't understand, we can't get along. We have too much history, too much baggage, too much past. God wants your family to be full. And you've got to take this and grab it out of the air this morning and put it in your heart and know it, believe it. God wants my home to be like the Garden of Eden, like the, like the Garden of God, a place where there is fullness. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then the psalmist says, he anoints my head with oil and my cup is overflowing. That's God's will for your family today, that your cup be overflowing. When Jesus distributed the fish and the bread, 5,000 men were fed. That's a lot of fish because you guys know that when you, when you fry fishes, it, it, people like to get a lot of it. And they got as much fish as they wanted, and all the men ate. But not just the men ate. They met somebody. All the, all the women ate too. God wants dad's heart full. He wants mama's heart full too. And they didn't stop there. The Bible tells us everybody ate. The children ate too. The little boys, the little girls, the teenagers, the college students, everybody ate until everyone was full. That is the promise and 
blessing of God over every home at Kingsway Church that you will be the head and not the tail, that you will go above and not beneath, that you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the field, that you will be blessed in your kneading bowl and in your basket, and that you will be able to walk in the abundance of fullness of God all the days of your life. He wants your cup running over. Why? Because he's good. He's better than you think he is. He's got more for you than you think he could have. Let me tell you something. This is very important. This is where I'm headed right now. The Bible said that demons seek dry places where they can abide. The gospel said that the demons go out looking for dry places. That's why your house needs to be full. Because there's a demon looking for a dry place. That's why your marriage needs to be full. Because there's a demon looking for a dry place. And let me tell you, friend, when drought gets into the home, the enemy shows up and wreaks havoc. When there's dryness in the marriage or dryness in the relationship with the children and dryness in the spirit of that home, the enemy has a place to come in and to dwell and to wreak havoc. You need to be full of the Spirit. The Bible said be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's God's command. It's not just good advice. It's not just good preaching. It is essential to the spiritual life and well-being of your home. That's why the, that is why the homemaker wants to make your house so abundant, so full. Because here's what happens. When there's a dry place in your home, the enemy comes in. And you're probably expecting that, you're, that I'm talking about some demon showing up at your house with a pitchfork. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some woman talking to your husband and feeding something in his soul that's not being fed at home. I'm talking about a man uh, uh, speaking to the life of your wife who's not, uh, who's not part of your home. And the enemy finds ways to come in and bring in those absences and to fill them with his own, his own garbage that he might destroy the family and the home. I'm talking about friends and acquaintances filling the lives and minds of your children with things that are ungodly and impure. And then you look around and you say, what happened to my family? What happened to my home? You let it dry up. You let it get dry. You've got to seek God and seek the well-being of your home every day. Come on, somebody. Every day. Because when you are full, you're able to give. You're able to fill someone else. You're able to invest in the life of your wife and sons and daughters and your church. When there's dryness, the enemy wants to come in and fill it with himself. So this morning, God says, I want your cup overflowing. I want your family overflowing. This is God's blessing for your life. I want you to say this with me. God's promise to me this morning is an overflow in my family. Say that again. God's promise for me and my family is overflow. One more time. God's promise for me and my family is overflow. Do you believe that? Do you receive that this morning? I said, do you receive that this morning? Stand up and defend what God has given to you. Don't let dryness come in. Don't let dryness destroy what God wants to nourish and what God wants to fill. All over this room, just lift your hands to heaven. 
And ask God to fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. I'm going to ask those who are going to serve the Lord's table to please come into the altar. We're going to receive the table together for just a minute. While they come, I want you just to say, God, if there's any dry place in my spirit, any dry place in my home, any dry place in my relationship, I pray that you'll come and fill it up. Come and fill it up. Give no place to the devil. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak. And if there's fullness of God in your heart, there's going to be fullness of God in your communication and in your listening and in your touch and in your vision. God, I pray this morning that you would touch every single part of the life of this church. We invite the homemaker to come into our homes, into our marriages, to come into our lives and to make things what they must be because we want to see overflow and blessing and provision in every way and in every place. Almighty God, I come against the devil. I come against every scheme and strategy of hell to divide what God has united. I come against you now, devil, and I tell you the blood of Jesus is against you. There's a homemaker in this house, and he's building what you will never be able to tear down. He is building and laying a foundation of power and might that will go on for generations. You've been defeated because of the cross. We stand today in the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the word of God.